always depended on the kindness of strangers. All right, so he's not a regular rat or, or even a super rat. He's a scared little mouse, that's all. Welcome to the next episode of The Real Woman, a podcast focused on all things cinematic. My guest today is Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib from the 13th Congressional District of Detroit. Congresswoman, welcome. Thank you so much, Emmy. Uh, May I call you Rashida? Of course. (laughs) We've known each other long enough. (laughs) Um, So... You know, the first question is, how does it sound to be, to hear Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib? Oh, I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, it's still surreal. Uh, I tell people I have these moments where it kind of sinks in a little bit. And, uh, you know, you can't wipe the smile off my face, but also this overwhelming anxiety and, uh, you know, just wanting to get get started right away I tell people it's a combination of just all these feelings I call it like happy chaos uh that's going on in my mind and my heart and uh but it's it's an incredibly um you know moment of just light uh uh, in a time that it feels pretty dark right now in our country not only because you know so you know who is our president but also just so much of the rhetoric here in the state legislature in Michigan uh, so much going on here in Detroit and feeling the sense that we're being pushed out. I mean, there's so much going on around us. Um, and this is just, you know, this beautiful rainbow of women that are going to be joining me makes me feel less alone and makes me feel uh, as inspired as I was when I first filed. And when do you, when is your official start date? Well, January 3rd, it becomes official. I get sworn in and they give you this pen, which I guess gives you access to all these places. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I, I told somebody, somebody's like, did you get your pen? I was like, you know, nobody tells you about those kinds of things. I mean, I see those pens, but I guess they really do matter to have them on so that you can have access into uh, into the Capitol, onto the House floor, uh, and, and all these other places, I guess, that are only restricted for members. But yeah, all of that happens on January third with uh, 434 of my other colleagues across the country. Uh, and yeah, I'm excited. My mom's coming, my two boys. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be wearing this beautiful Palestinian uh, thobe. It's a dress that's uh, hand embroidered and uh, my mom made it years ago. And so I'm really, really going oh, that to bring sounds a little, yeah, I'm going to bring a little bit of, you know, my mom's, um, you know, upbringing and things that remind me of my roots as a Palestinian American. And, uh, I'm thrilled and excited. Uh, and at the same time, it's just, I'm really, you know, I keep telling people this, I'm the eldest of 14 and, you know, I'm those person like now that we won, you just have to like wait. Yes. And uh, <laughs> and so I'm running I, to stand I have still. Been, <laughs> yeah, I have been, you know, my team knows this. I, I just emailed them and, you know, we're, we're starting to put a plan together of, you know, what do we want the service centers to provide? And so the first thing I'm going to do is you know, email um, as many residents as possible my first week and ask them, you know, what kind of services do you want at the neighborhood service centers that I'm going to create throughout the district? I mean, what are some of the things that if you walk into the office and you're hoping to see there, you're hoping to to have this kind of resource to you? And I mean, I have a great feeling um, that it's going to be around, you know, issues around poverty, issues around access to jobs, um, access to quality education and health care. Uh, but I also want to always make sure that they're helping me govern or helping guide me and keeping me rooted in community. So you're still going to be very hands-on with your district. Oh, I have to be. It's no other, there's no other way to really serve, especially my district. I, you know, growing up in Detroit and then representing, you know, these other Wayne County communities, many of them I represented uh, previously, previously in the uh, state legislature. I, you know, getting people through everyday issues is probably 
the best thing that I ever did when I was a state legislator. Um, all my bill ideas, my policy came from providing those services and realizing, oh, this is a barrier that shouldn't be there. Uh, or, you know, understanding that we didn't even have a law regarding mortgage fraud and one of my teachers lost her home because of it. She had no idea she was a victim. Uh, and, you know, some of the other issues, again, that come through the doors at a service center that help shape kind of the, the direction that you want to go. And, and it keeps you, again, really rooted in the community, rooted in direct services, which I think when it goes hand in hand with the policy work, you do, you know, you get closer to changing people's lives for the better. And so uh, I just don't know any other way to serve. And I'm excited about it. I, I know there are so many, Emmy, unlike you and others that have experienced it, there are so many uh, throughout this district, which is the third poorest congressional district in the country, that they've never experienced this type of like direct services. So I'm excited about showing them some love and spoiling every <laughs> single person I can. Um, just, you know, being heard and listened. Yes. Uh, feeling like you're being heard, you know, and, and then listen uh, to. I just think like, you know, there's those are those, you know, human interactions that I think you know, a lot of people that get into public service forget how critically important that is. Um, you know, for the years that I've known you, I sort of always thought of you as kind of a star in Detroit. Um, but your star has really gone national. I mean, anyone that ever, anyone and everyone who I've told, either in Detroit or in other states, um, that I was going to speak to you. I mean, the the outpouring of positive messages that people wanted me to pass on to you was really mm. overwhelming to me, even. Um, so how is that sort of, if it has affected your life to sort of, you know, now be really thrust onto the, the public stage in this way? I could tell you, I used to be able to go grocery shopping. <laughs> and, and, you know, once in a while, a resident would recognize me. But, you know, I'm not trying to hide or anything. But usually if I'm dressed in my, you know, my, um, uh, you know, kind of jogging pants that I have, my yoga pants or my gym shoes, and I'm out in this, and, and, and wanting to pick up, you know, a, a eggs and milk, uh, I, I it's very hard to do now. I, I think, it, you know, I keep saying to myself to make me more calmer because I like doing those regular things is that it's it's just it's just the beginning you know this is it's gonna go away it's not gonna be a big deal but even having dinner all those kinds of things it's been um you know people even the last time I went out to dinner I uh you know right after I won this woman came up who she immediately doesn't say anything she goes is this you and she shows it to me on her phone and I said yes and I took a breath and I could tell she wasn't um (laughs) as happy that I won and I was getting ready to be attacked uh, verbally or, or whatever. And she's like, I just want you to know, you know, I'm from the other side and I just, I just want you to know I'm not one of those Democrats that come and yell at people when they're having dinner. And I said, well, I'm not one of those people either. And I appreciate you coming, you know, to my table and thank you so much. And then she proceeds to say, you know, we don't like this divisiveness and all this stuff. And I look at her and I said, but you just saw me as this person that's like that. Right. And I'm just a mom. You know, I'm a mom that when I come in that room and I look at gun crisis, I look at all the other issues. I don't think of myself with an R and or D next to my name. Right. And she just kind of looks at me in awe. But I, I, you know, I know I'm still young and don't know historically how it used to be, but I do feel it. And I think a lot of us do this kind of division and toxicity that is kind of around, mm-hmm. um, you know, government. And, you know, so for me, yes, nationally, that's kind of an, this sense of hope. And again, this light that me and many of the women that were recently elected bring. But we also have just this tremendous amount of work to do to show some love and some compassion. I, I lead with compassion and, you know, I think of Ayanna Presley who just won in the Boston area, you know, she is incredible. And I watched her and one person got up and said, uh, you know, she knows the language of love. And I just thought to myself, what a blessing that I have women that get it. They get yeah. that, uh, you know, when we think about these establishment kind of organizations, the Republican, Democrat, all, we, we, we honestly are, you know, these human beings, these, these, these women that think of things in such a focused way without the, all the garbage and, and this just like, 
you know, to me, uh, things that get us so unfocused and so divided. Uh, but I do know this is so much bigger uh, than just, you know, us here in Detroit and in, in the Wayne County area electing a first, but also electing someone like me. Because I can tell you, this little girl in California came up to me, and she was only 11 years old, and she said, she she looks at me, and I, I look at her, and I said, well, a nice blazer. And you could tell, and she's wearing this blazer with mm-hmm. jeans and this, like, white, really thin t-shirt and I said uh you know I really like it and she goes she pulls on it from both ends and says I'm trying to look like you oh and I smiled and I said girl you don't have to run for congress run for president and she goes uh-huh and I just at that <laughs> moment Emmy I thought to myself she she she's gonna she knows she can run for president now yeah and so I love that I love the fact that there's going to be a generation of these young girls who are brown like me, who are Muslim, she was Muslim faith, and that that now believe truly that this is this is something they can do and will do. Um, and there was another woman who wears the hijab and she's older, and she wears Islamic headscarf, and she goes to me, please win, please win, you know, and I, I said, of course, uh, and this is before I, I, I won, and I, I said, you know, no matter what, you know, we're, we're going to be fine, because I felt this pressure on me, and she goes, no, you don't understand, you have to win, because if you win, then that means we belong, and I keep thinking about her a lot, and, and how much this win must mean to her, because even as I was trying to explain to her that we do belong, even if I, even if I don't succeed in this congressional race, you know, win this race, we're going to be fine. And she, she repeatedly said, you have to do it for my daughters and my granddaughters. Like you, you have to show them they belong. And it's, it's hard thinking about my mom's generation who probably didn't have to grow up with this much uh, Islamophobia, with this much hate towards our faith, towards our ethnicity. And I, I can just imagine how, you know, very much, um, like this sense of accomplishment for all of us to, to, that we finally have someone that is, looks like us, has a unique name like us, shares the same faith as us, is now in office. And, you know, I Emmy, mean, what I always tell people is what's super incredible in the story that nobody tells is the fact that I wasn't elected in a predominantly Muslim or Arab community. I was elected in a predominantly black, white, you know, less than 5% even Arab community. And it's, it's beautifully in, in so many ways shows that, look, you, 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 you can represent certain areas, but also it's the, you know, my fellow American people that do not, are not Muslim, are not Arab, elected me. You know, I grew up in the most beautiful blackest city in the country, in the city of Detroit. And I can tell you if there's any, any, ounce of like my weakness there's there's a resilience that just is birthed in me because I grew up in the city um but I always tell people Alhan Omar 70 percent white community elected her you know that to me is telling of how much hope uh people should have that you know our country is 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 really divided and and so um feeling this sense of uh, really being under attack in many ways from inside you know people always think about foreign um uh attack or this kind of infiltration when honestly this is this is currently inside our country the division is happening and this kind of violence that we're seeing uh, amongst each other uh is there but I think Alhan, myself, even Lauren Underwood, which is an African-American woman, I am a proxy African-American woman, were elected in communities that were not, uh, did not share the same, you know, uh, background. And I think that to me is very telling of um, the sense of hope that we, we should all have that, yeah, people like us can run and we can win. And there is more love and, and um, more of this kind of beautiful unity that I think we don't get to see so much every single day right now. And, and there's more that unites us than divides us. Absolutely. Uh, so the, the main focus of today's talk um, is going to be on the new uh, Michael Moore film, Fahrenheit 11.9, which you appear in quite a lot, actually. Um, how Can you tell me how that came about, how you and Michael Moore sort of connected and, and how that, you know, worked out? 
Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't know. So there's a national organization here in Detroit, um, headquartered in Detroit, called uh, Maurice and Jane Sugar Law Center. Maurice Sugar was the first labor lawyer for the UAW, was there during the hunger strike, during the time that, you know, it was a really um, a moment of change within the labor rights movement. And, uh, you know, when he passed on, that there was a trust and then this organization were birthed. And, you know, I'm an attorney at Sugar Law, it was attorney at Sugar Law Center. And, you know, we fight back against corporate greed around wage theft, uh, around unemployment benefits being denied to workers that earned it. And, you know, one of the the, the, the founding committees that were was put together to create this organization were a number of civil rights and activists that came together to create the organization. And Michael Moore was on that committee. And so when we were um, celebrating the 25th uh, anniversary of Sugar Law Center, I had reached out to him personally and said, you know, we'd love to, to give you an award for being there from the beginning and creating this incredible organization. And I told him, you know, we took the emergency manager uh, case to the Supreme Court. We, uh, you know, fought back against Snyder and, and, and his denial of unemployment benefits to especially UAW, UAW workers. We've done all these things. And we would like to honor those that have been there with us from the beginning. And so that kind of developed our friendship. Uh, from then on, uh, from the humor uh, that, yes. that came across from <laughs> we we um, and then also this this you know this you know we were kind of mad too uh, about what was going on in our country and you know when I decided to run for office he was one of the first to come out and support me publicly and so when he came down to uh, do some filming for for his movie uh, in Hamtramck and other areas he also. Uh, met with uh, voters here in the Detroit area that didn't go vote and didn't feel like they should vote. And he went door knocking in, with you. So that's what I was going to tell you. Yeah. I'm door knocking in Redford Township, which is as incredible. To, I only have one township, and this is an incredible neighbor community. And I get a text from one of his producers, Bassem, who's, who's great. And, he, and, and they basically, he's like, look, we're on our way to the airport. We'd love to stop by stop because he really wants to talk to you. And I said, sure. And I give him the address and I'm not, I'm actually on a door while they pull up in this minivan. It was crazy. <laughs> and the woman at the door, by the way, her name is Tootie, just like in the movie. I said, is that your real? She goes, oh yeah. And we're just talking and she goes, who's that? And I said, oh, that's, you know, don't freak out, but that's Michael Moore. She goes, oh my God, it freaks out. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I tell, I jokingly tell people, I'm never door knocking with Michael Moore. Like in an hour, <laughs> I can probably do 15 to 20 doors. I think we did like two doors uh, while we were there. Um, and we were primarily talking to this one family, but he was also talking to me. And, and you know, there was this whole sense of like, we got to get this new wave of leaders and public servants and got to take over. You know, he was like, what do you, you think we need a new party? I said, no, you, you take over the current party and by electing people like us and getting people that will have the courage and moral compass to push back against this corporation working families. So I, I, it was, it was a really incredible moment um, in connection that he and I had right on the street in Redford Township. And he smiled at me, I smiled back, and we we had all these kind of back and forth jokes, but we were also very serious. And we share the same love of a country that we know is, is like we yet, ha you know, I love his ending of his movie. I mean, where he, he said, we probably have yet to create the America that we want to live in. And he's absolutely right. I think this is just a step towards, you know, changing this kind of outlook of this is just the way it is to, you know, the possibility of something even more incredible and more amazing for the next generation of, of, of American people. And I, I'm so thrilled that I was even part of this project. Uh, it was something that he and his team really put a lot of time and effort in. And uh, I'm, you know, it, if you do go out and watch it, it's, these high moments and these really low moments. Oh, I've seen it. Um, I've seen it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and, it, and it's a roller coaster of emotion. It is a roller coaster of emotion. It definitely is. Um, and I have one question about, well, a few, but one of the questions, I, you know, I saw, I read a few re reviews of it, and um, one person suggested that. You know, this was supposed to be a movie about how we ended up with the president that we ended up with, and that 
His issue with it was that Michael Moore spent a lot of time on the Flint crisis and Governor Snyder, and he didn't feel like like there should have just been a movie about Flint. That he didn't think that this like the two things were connected, or that there was a correlation between them. Um, what would you say to that? Um, I you know look, I think that everybody has a different lens of how you look at things um, that are happening. Um, and, and for people, there's always this intersectionality that happens sometimes on certain issues. Like when I talk about environmental justice, for me, it's about racial justice, right? And, and so there's, there, you know, people have a different lens of how to look at things. And, um, I, you know, I got to tell you, like, you know, as, as somebody that respects artists, you know, I don't consider myself when I'm more of an activist and I, but I love hearing spoken word. I love seeing the kind of social justice move, movement through art and through all these other avenues. And, you know, look, Michael Moore, in many ways, people don't see him. I see him as an artist. And he sees things a certain lens in a certain way and, and how they connect. And that's okay. And people need to either respect it. Either you like it or you don't. Or But at the end, always respect that that's the way he sees those issues and that connectivity that happens. Um, and... Uh would you, you know, the, one of the things he does in the movie is he really sort of juxtaposes um, criticism of not just dem, not just Republicans but established Democrats, uh, uh, you know, Obama and the Clintons, and he really, um, you know, like juxtaposes them with you and Alexandria Cortez and, you know, the, the sort of new generation of, of women that are coming in. Uh, do you see yourself as anti-establishment? That's, you know, it seems like that's how he was depicting you. No, and you know, that's the thing, you know, what does that mean sometimes? And I sometimes tell people I wasn't supported by these stuff. What I mean by that sometimes is just, you know, I wasn't supported by the typical kind of it was so-called, um, you know, democratic-based kind of organizations, including labor and others. But, you know, for me and many of the, the women, I mean, we've, we've been hanging out for the last, I mean, part of the orientation for the last two or three weeks. We just see ourselves as this new um, kind of, era of the civil rights movement, a new era of the social justice movement in our country. Um, I mean, this is the largest incoming class since Watergate. And at that time, even people saw, you know, this kind of courageous group of class of, of folks that were coming into Congress that wasn't going to take, you know, the lies anymore, wasn't going to take this, um, you know, for me, this kind of tainting of our American dem democracy. And for us, that's what it means. I mean, we, these titles and these kinds of approaches that people want to kind of label us as is like, no, I mean, it's like people like us technically really, I mean, if you look back, we've been running, we've been running for years and, and we, but we haven't been winning. Um, we win on issues. We win on, on the local level, but on the national level, we're finally winning and getting people like us. And I'm not talking about our ethnicity or our background, but people that don't take corporate PAC money, uh, we, we push back against that. People that are not going to say, oh, that's impossible. You know, they constantly say that to us. Well, that's just not how it is. It's like, who says? Who says that that's a rule? It's people make those rules, Emmy. Yeah. And it's, it's our job to push back and say that's not a rule that works for us right now and doesn't, you know, clean our air and it doesn't, you know, fix the problem with the asthma rates in our country and all of those things. And so it's really, really important that we push back. And what do you think has happened um Maybe it's one thing, maybe it's a few things, but why, as you're saying, you know, you weren't winning on a national level, what was the change that caused this, you know, this sort of groundswell? Is it just who the president is? I mean, was that the only reason, or do you feel like there were other reasons that contributed to, you know, what used to just be local level winners, you know, rising to national level winners? You know, I don't know how to answer that. You know, I always think about the, you know, the people I meet at the doors and, and, you know, one of the things that I, it was consistent to me and that's not like this kind of national rhetoric and this kind of looking at it from that lens. I mean, you know what? Most, most of the questions were on the doors. It wasn't issues. It was, are you going to sell us out? Are you one of those? It was in different ways. Right. Are, are you one of those that after we elect you, you're going to go there and sell us out? You're going to vote against us. Are you one of those that's just not going to remember, 
you know, why it's so important not to, not, not to, you know, um, one woman was like, um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll probably support you, but you're going to probably vote against us at some point. And I said, why would, no, you hold me accountable, you push back. So it's this approach in the sense of making sure that people that are coming out, because, you know, four years ago, 3.1 million people came out to vote. And now I'll tell you, uh, you know, 3.1 million came out four years ago and 4.3 million people came out this time. And there is a sense that, you know, there is this power of changing um, how we think of Congress, how we think of all these offices and public servants, and that we do have a different choice. That we don't have, now we have choices to say, we're going to vote for people that are not going to sell us out. And if they sell us out, we're going to take them out. I mean, if you look at Ayanna Presley and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they unseated incumbent. You know, we're talking about long-term Democratic incumbents that have been there, one, I think, for 20 years and others, you know, even longer. That's that's the change and the shift that we have now is that it's going to hold folks accountable. If we can have people like me running against incumbents and, and saying, you know, you sold us out, you went far to the right and where you, your courage is not there to fight against, um, you know, not only the hate, also this corporate assaults, uh, you know, on us, American people. I mean, half of the members of Congress right now are millionaires. They're in an income bracket that is completely, completely disconnected with the majority of American people. And so it is so important that we get regular folk in there to balance it out. And that's what Congress used to be, is the ones who balance it out against the top 2% in our country. And it's just not, you haven't felt it. You felt like you got sold out, that you are at the bottom of the list of priorities um, when it, when you saw it of Congress. And so I know and I feel like things are changing and uh, to a point where you, you feel this sense of courage, but you also feel this sense of, you know, these are women that, you know, they really don't come to play around. I mean, it, you, yeah. you can feel it when you're talking to them. I mean, we're moms. We're, we we got lives that is, you know, uh, so much interconnected, right, to why we want to create this better world for not only our kids, but our community, this sense of responsibility that comes as being a woman. You know, we're the nurturers, we're the protectors. And, and we always wait until we're feeling needed, right? And that's why I yeah. think there's so many more women running is because we feel this need, like we're needed, we got to get in there. And I always say, clear out the room, you know, put some women in the room, and you'll see us fix the gun crisis and in in the increased violence in our country in a few hours because we really do come with this kind of focused lens and a different view of the issues. You know, um, one of the sort of sentiments that uh, Michael Moore puts forth in his movie, one of the things he says near the end is that he has uh, optimistic outrage. And uh, what would you say about that? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something you you, uh, feel as well? Yes. And you know what I, so Barbara Lee, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who's been there, she's, I think, the 20th African-American woman to get elected, but she represents uh, one of the poorest communities in in California, uh, including Oakland. And uh, she gave us a book about the power of, of, um, I can't remember the title, it's really profound, and a lot of people are familiar with the book, but it's about the power of women's anger. And, uh, you know, in the book, she, you you know, she left a little note saying, stay mad. And uh, there is this power in, in this kind of energy that women have when they're upset. in their personal, but even in your professional life. Yeah. We're on a mission. You know, when I think of Lucy Macbeth, who brings tears to my eyes every single time Emmy, she gets up and speaks now. And, you know, when she gets, she, she, it's about her son, Jordan, who mm-hmm. was violently gunned down in a gas station because he had so-called the wrong music. And later on, the man that gunned him down, that killed him, said it was because he was black. And this woman who turned a, a district that was held by a Republican is now held by Lucy McBeth, yeah. uh, a Democrat, but a woman that um, was a spokesperson for Moms Demand uh, Action as a direct um, uh, survivor uh, in, in many ways of, of the, the lack of action on a crisis in our country. And she's now there and she's so focused. Even when she speaks, she gets us on the tracks again. She puts us back on the tracks. And that's who I'm coming in with. This class is incredible. 
from those that understand what it means to have college debt to those that understand holding two or three jobs, for those that understand what it means to be left behind because of the color of their skin or because of their faith. This is, you know, just all of it so much represents the direction that I think many of it, and that's why you see this whole drive of new people coming out to vote, the direction that our country is going in. Um, now, do you have other uh, committees in your mind that you want to join when you, when you get there? Oh, I want to be on appropriations. I was on appropriations six years on, in the in the state legislature, and I love when they say, "Oh, that that can't be done." You know, for, new new members don't get on appropriations. You look at history, and the and during the Watergate class, there was two new members. Even Newt Greenridge, when there was a wave of Republicans that came in, I think in, in the decade ago, again there was you know new members. So I love when the my own you know caucus people are like, "Oh, it's never been done," and then it's like, "Yes, it has." Uh, so, so, you know, and so I, I feel like, you know, thank you for coming and telling us, you know, some of the leadership will say to us, um, thank you for saving America. Well, great. Honor it by putting us at a, a critical tables and critical committees where decisions are being made because we're new from listening to the American people directly. Most of us, all of us pretty much did doors. We were talking to people and there's such value in, in, in that because we're so still connected to the people on the ground. And for us to have that voice to, you know, so many people say, you sound so real, Rashida, to even Alex and to Ayana and Han, they're like, you guys sound so real. And it's like, we are, because we haven't <laughs> been in this kind of bubble uh, that is that is Congress. And, and there's value to that. And so it's really, really important that we, you know, honor that by putting this at the table and not just, you know, uh, saying it's great that you're here. We welcome the diversity. It's like you stop telling us this is a great diverse class. Show us that you really care that it is a diverse class by actually putting people like myself that represents the third poorest congressional district in the country where we've been really feeling this neglect of, of resources and all these things. We haven't had representation for close to a year. Put us at the table. We can make a difference. Um, and I read something that you um, are actually going to be uh, organizing a trip to Israel. Yeah. So uh, how did that come Israel, about? But well, this is interesting. I'm so glad you asked because a lot of people don't realize how this all happened. It was when um, I got asked over and over. Well, it was uh, you know by media uh, emailing my account asking uh, if I'm going on the APAC trip. Trip, and I said, oh. Okay, and I asked, you know, some of my colleagues. Nobody was being asked, just me. And no one was being asked, are you going on an APEC trip? And I, I know it's because I'm Palestinian. I know it's because mm-hmm. they, they, you know, obviously, you know, media, um, there, there are those moments where we're just kind of trying to make uh, a stories out of, of certain, I mean, this is probably my first week uh, orientation, and that's a media request that came in as a question, is, is she going on the APEC trip? And, and ironically, and this is, this is so crazy, is that I was like, oh, no, what are the other alternatives? There is none, Emmy. There is no alternative to really the APAC trip. There is... Um, and and could you J- just tell, uh, J- say J3, what the APAC is, is? Oh, so I don't know what it stands for, but it's, it's basically a pro-Israeli organization um, that uh, for years has been, you know, using, I think... Uh, probably spending millions of dollars taking folks to Israel and, and um, you know, it's a, it's a trip, a so-called educational trip. But, you know, if you look at the itinerary, and I've known this in the past, is I think the last time they got a class, to, uh, new members there, they spent like an hour and 15 minutes with a Palestinian. Other than that, it was only being exposed to Israel. And they're very connected to the Israeli government, where, you know, I want something that is more independent, away from meeting the Palestinian Authority, away from the um, Israeli government, I think talking about the human impact by talking to the people on the ground that's providing the education resources, promoting human rights, talking about what it means to live in a very segregated community from each other. And so that's when it just clicked to me. I had no idea there really wasn't an alternative, and I only didn't know because you know, I'm an activist, I'm a social justice attorney, and a lot of my friends, from those from Dream Defenders to, you know, groups like Blacks for Palestine, others, they, you know, they've sent, you know, had led delegations of folks to Palestine, Israel, and, and, and it was interesting, I thought that there was something similar in that way for members of Congress, and there isn't. 
There is not an alternative to the APAC trip. And what I mean by alternative is I want something that talks about the humanization of both Israelis and Palestinians, especially because my grandmother is in the West Bank, and I feel like her voice is never is never at the table. Her, You know, she's not a woman that really cares about who's in leadership as much as she cares about whether or not she has she can get through the checkpoint to get to the hospital to get care. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a woman that worries about her son leaving the house every single day and whether or not he's going to be, you know, um, arrested, detained, uh, beaten up. And so, you know, for me, I want folks to know what the human impact is in living in conditions like that, including with Israeli residents who right now there is so much organizing between Israelis and Palestinians on the ground, and nobody even realizes it, that there's so much interconnection right now of happening around uh, the racism, around these policies that, you know, are about building walls and segregating the communities more, even inter uh, relationships. Like if you're married, I have a cousin that's married to an Israeli and, you know, he's Palestinian and and all of the dilemma and and the hardship that is created because they married each other. I mean, there's so much also for me growing up in Detroit where every corner is the reminder of the civil rights movement. I I see so much of of what happened uh, during that time where I have my African-American teacher saying, you know, we couldn't live in these neighborhoods. We couldn't marry, you know, non-African-Americans. We couldn't, you know, all of these things Mm -hmm. that I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly what's happening to my family members in Palestine right now. And, uh, you know, so many people don't want to see it that way. Um, And I'm talking about those that probably are wanting to, you know, just promote these around these policies of one or two state where I'm like, look, put policy aside, put the governments aside. I want to support the organizing effort on the ground to allow people to really self-determine what they want. You know, American people, we always want to impose our own beliefs onto people, and I'm tired of it. We don't live there. We can't impose this kind of arrogant approach of, like, this is just how it is, and this is what we want you all to support. It's like, no, let us allow this kind of leading with compassion, come to say, we see you, we hear you, you deserve to feel safe, you deserve to to, to live with human dignity. And that to me is so much more important. And I got to tell you, I mean, when I, when I, I didn't know it was going to, you know, get the kind of, uh, you know, national um, uh, light on it uh, when I said, oh, you know, because to me, it's like, I'm going to go visit my grandma and I'm going to take people with me. Right. <laughs> and right. I'm going to go and talk to people that, uh, you know, do the work on the ground, the human rights organizations and all of that. And so I am a little bit taken aback by those that see it as so much more than that. That, that somehow I'm, I'm there to destroy one group or the other, and it's not true. And, and those that know me know my work in the past and know that my heart is really about, you know, I, I want to see integration of schools there, Emmy. I want us to, you know, for many ways, talk about our experiences here in the United States and how separate but equal doesn't didn't work for us. But at the same time, if folks want to stay great, then you, you, you allow it to organic, like allow that organizing effort to happen. But at the same time, you have those that say they want that, but they're actually, they don't. And so, you know, there's so much there that I feel feel like um, covers up and, and or maybe like distracts us from really just talking to the real people on the ground. And so many people said, how are we going to get peace? I said, you know what? It's when we allow Israelis and Palestinians to talk to each other, to not dehumanize each other. And I'm not talking about governments. I'm talking about the people on the ground. Let them organize. Let them create the kind of uprising that needs to happen. You know, I think about the rebellion here in Detroit. I think about all that. But at the same time, I'm like, let's do it in a way where it doesn't get to that point where it's violence. Uh, let it be the integration of thoughts, integration of these kinds of feelings that we have, where I know if I put my grandmother with a woman the same age as her in Israel, where she's talking about feeling safe and my and my grandmother is saying, I want to feel safe too, that there is something spectacular and beautiful that happens where they start seeing each other, where they start, doesn't see a divide, but the commonality and this this connection that needs to happen in such a human way. And that doesn't, you know, that sounds beautiful. I mean, I, I can't imagine why, as you were saying, that there, there you would have pushback against that. 
I mean, well, you saw that. You even saw that, though, with with even the pushback against integration of schools and having. You know, I mean, at this time, it wasn't like white children were being pushed into black schools. It was, you know, black children being pushed into uh, white schools, and 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 that you know, powers that be were so threatened by that. I mean, you see it now yeah. with you know Trump being president. I mean, if you think about Netanyahu's Israel, it's so similar to Trump's America. It's it's us versus them. It's it's not. Again, when I say leading with compassion, it's not thinking about the impact of what the words of like. You know, because things that come out of the, the, the mouths of all these different governments all over the country, it's about you are less than, you don't belong. That's what people hear uh, when those that are like that empower. And so it's really important that we take all of that noise out and allow real people that are impacted by these decisions, impacted by this, these, this kind of rhetoric to actually talk to each other, to create those avenues that they can talk to each other and finally see each other and hear each other. And have you had uh, a positive response in D.C. in terms of people who have said they'd like to join you? Yes, and interesting enough, some of them are whispering like, I'm so glad you're doing it. Whereas (laughs) some are like, you go girl, kick ass, you know, like this is great that you're doing this. And then there are some, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, we're getting emails from different groups. Like, we would love to help. And there are, like, you know, NG, uh, nonprofit uh, groups that do humanitarian work there. I mean, it's spectacular to see it all happen and unfold, Emmy. And I'm just, I'm, you know, it makes me cry sometimes because all I want is, like, this is for my 50. This is for my grandmother who, you know, she's at her, you know, age, um, probably in her 80s now, um, that she, you know, I want her to die with some sort of sense of human dignity because she walks out of her home. I never saw this checkpoint before, but she has now a checkpoint in front of her home, and her village is only 700 people. Oh, no. uh, that's it. And I just, you know, keep thinking about if folks just get to meet her and, you know, uh, and, and see that there are so many like her on both sides that are really not being heard or seen and that's all these powers that be that are is so frustrating that are really creating the violence and don't really care about the 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 impact of of on human beings that are in the middle of it all and we see that even with you know president trump and the fact that you know the the, the stuff that he does and the rhetoric even you know pardoning that sheriff that basically you know attacked and targeted latinos yeah he pardoned this man it means you don't respect the constitution you don't respect equality for all that you believe in violence and that's that's kind of that's exactly what's happening um in in the situation in israel and palestine where one thing is said but the actions don't match and i'm tired of just allowing all of this us versus them where I just want us to co- go and talk to the teams that are on the ground on both sides and just really try to connect and see what this kind, these kinds of policies, the fact that we haven't been talking to them for such a long time is probably made us less as Americans, less as an honest broker on that issue. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about changing people's lens on this issue to the way where it's respecting both, you know, my grandmother's rights as well as any Israeli person's right. As long as it's not the, you know, degrading or dehumanizing or, uh, again, making people feel so less than or less belonging uh, in the country they were born in. And so I'm really, um, you know, I'm really excited about it and, and, when will this I'm, be happening? Do you know yet? I don't know yet. Okay. I have. No, I don't know yet. I mean, this. Is I want to join your trip. Other <laughs> people do, Emmy. No, I'd love to be your official photographer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be fun. It's. It. You know. Um. I love the young groups, the young organizations, like um, with the group. Uh, if not now, then when? Uh, this is a, a, a group. Oh, um, Jewish, Vo- Jewish Voices for Peace. Um, uh, the Palestinian Caucus at Harvard University is great. Uh, there, I mean, there's so many of the incredible youth groups that have been talking about. They've been doing these kinds of trips already. Um, but they, you know, obviously haven't thought about, well, why don't we offer or at least be a partner in taking members of Congress there? And I told them, you know, I think when they see people like myself and others um, that are coming in, 
right now, they can finally see, well, because this is a great opportunity. And I said, why aren't, why aren't you guys thinking about, you know, local state officials and city council members and others that, you know, 80% of them end up on the national level and they're providing feedback on federal issues all the time now. And so, and so many of them are so hungry for, to, to hear both sides of the issue. And, and if they're not given an alternative, then it, it doesn't happen. And so I'm really excited about just the fact that we're engaging such a great young, you know, group of organizers uh, that have been fighting for human rights um, on this issue. And, uh, you know, and, and, and again, like just me being there, Emmy, I've never felt um, such a such a duty. I mean, I, I, I'm there to fight off poverty. And, you know me, I, I can't corporate bullies that, you know, that really that, that disrespect us with their pollution, disrespect us with these, you know, so-called corporate tax breaks and so much more. They say they care about Detroit, but then they're okay with closing down all these schools and the fact that we don't have clean water. That's what I'm passionate about. But at the same time, being a Palestinian American, I feel a sense of duty and responsibility to, you know, especially with having family in the Palestine, the sense of duty to say, you know, come and come and see this human side, this, this side that has nothing to do with, you know, the principles of human rights. I don't want to talk about policy. I want to talk about human impact. It's just like when we want to fight against corporate greed. I want to take them to Delray and show them what it means when we allow corporations to take so much control over a neighborhood and then they abandon us. They leave us with, you know, no um, alternative. They leave us with decay and blight and poverty. And I, I, you know, again, see so much of that connection of the work I've been doing now against injustice uh, so connected to what I'm trying to do and humanizing the issue in Palestine. Uh, you know, it, it really seems like you're, it sounds like you're um, really bringing to fruition some of the, some of the things that, that Michael Moore mentioned in the movie, which was just, you know, relying on or looking to the younger generation, the new generation, uh, you know, organizations, but also like the kids in, from Parkland and, you know, mm-hmm. that there's really been... Um, a uh, a groundswell from from yeah yeah but from areas that you would not think of you know we don't um, probably since the sixties uh, with you know I was born in the seventies so certainly in my life uh, it wasn't thought of that you would look to teenagers to yeah. to be the voice of reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I mean, do you know that when looking at like, look at the Parkland young people in March or Lives, do you know the NRA for the first time is having so much uh, uh, issues regarding like um, uh, their profit margins, uh, their bottom line? Because these groups have been able to push back and get folks to divest in promoting NRA and supporting the NRA. And it's been spectacular to see like the coming in and showing that their advocacy, their grassroots organizing is working. That they, they are, you know, elevating the voices of those that are survivors. Um, and then those that have been victims of, you know, the gun crisis in our country. It's been so inspiring and gives me so much hope. Uh, and I, I, I gotta tell you, it feels like it's getting stronger and stronger as even as as they get older, you know, some have graduated yeah, yeah. and they're still active and they're still pushing forward. Well, I feel like there's, um, I don't, I feel like when there's a message coming from kids that it's received differently than from grownups, you know, when a grownup is speaking, even if what they're saying is true and right and everything, you know, there's, there's still this idea of, well, what's their motive? What's the, what's, you know, they're doing this for a reason. There's some sort of cynical um, side that, you know, that one can look for. And when it's a, when it's a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid, you know, they're not yeah. old enough to have a, an ulterior motive. Like, it really is, <laughs> you know, it's like it really is, um, 
coming from, I don't want to say an innocence, because I don't see them as innocent, but... No, but I think you said it right about self-interest. I mean, they really yeah. don't. It's pure. It's pure. It's It really, they are not making money off of this. They are not gaining any power. Most of us, you know, the one that I met that is there in Parkland with some of the new members is a young man who, you know, we may not have heard of, but he's there because he's extremely passionate about this issue. And again, you're right. I mean, I mean, it, it is, it's pure. It, it, they're pure about why they are doing this. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, thrilled. I mean, even around the issue of, um, uh, poverty, even around the issue of LGBTQ movement, all of that, you know, I think is coming so much from the, from the young people, uh, and really pushing forward. Even like looking at the DACA, the dreamer, yeah. the young immigrant youth, you know, they're the ones speaking up, they're the ones pushing back. Um, and being the loudest right now, but it's been most effective in really telling the story of our broken immigration system and how it's become so inhumane and, and uh, violent in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you. I have one last uh, light question <laughs> uh, for you to, to, to pull this uh, to a conclusion, and that is, it is the holidays. Um, do you have... Uh, any are there any holiday movies in your family that's a tradition to watch? <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm so I'm Muslim, right? So people assume like I, I there's something about Christmas that I absolutely love that during the holidays. I don't care if it's you know Hanukkah. It's all of the, the fact that our country somewhat shuts down a little bit. Yeah, um, and uh, I probably know all the carols and everything. I mean, I don't have a special you know holiday movie as much. I mean. My boys and I, uh, we, we, it's funny, we were just watching one last night. Um, but, I mean, I like the, the you know, uh, the old school black and white ones a lot. Uh, like It's a I Wonderful you, Life. Like, yes, yes. And, uh, you know, my, 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 even my kids, I mean, those are the ones that don't get old. Even my kids are like, wow, you know. And uh, my, my son, Yusuf, is just fascinated with black and white. I think sometimes we don't even realize that he's like, wow, I'm like, yeah, you can actually, you almost hear the words differently, huh? And he's like, I don't know, it's just no color. I said, yeah, there's no color. <laughs> he's seven years old. Um, but I, I, do, I do find this time in our country, you know, where, you know, there is this moment of, I think we do all come together in some ways um, around giving and around, uh, uh, I think, love. And, you know, it's through... Uh, you know, some of the community service work that I'm involved in and everything that I just feel, I don't know, I feel great because I'm in a room with people of all different faiths and we're like delivering uh, toys on Christmas Day. It's such fun, Emmy. Yeah. Uh, and, and we are, you know, very much uh, coming together on this commonality around, you know, showing kids love and, um, you know, expressing this kind of like compassion and, and support for each other. It's a beautiful time, I think, in our country. Yes, I, I agree. Thank you uh, for talking with me. This has been a wonderful conversation. And, Thanks, Emmy. I really appreciate it. And uh, I wish you and your, your family uh, happy holidays and a, a wonderful new year. No, thank you so much. You too. Thank you for listening to The Real Woman Podcast. Please join me next week when my guest will be Professor Tom Cherisulo. He is the author of Authors Out Here, Fitzgerald, West, Parker, and Schulberg in Hollywood. And we will be talking about F. Scott Fitzgerald's time in Hollywood. Thank you. Good night.